Welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, where we talk about how you and your organization can take your next step in your leadership journey. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, where we really do believe your church can grow, your church should grow, and your personal growth as a leader really does make a difference. I'm here as always with my co-host, Logan. Logan, Hello, everyone. How's it going? Very, very well. Logan, how do you feel about the fact that 60%, the Instagram survey that we did the other week said 60% did not believe in aliens, 40% do? I'm so disappointed in that, honestly. I think people are just scared to tag their name because they're scared you're going to call them out. I probably... I'll take one for the team. Well, I'm just saying I won, and that's all I really want to cover in this podcast. When I mean, we could shut down. <laughs> and we're done. we're done. We're done. Aliens are real. Yeah. Oh, you just agreed right there. Uh, because I am an alien. Oh my goodness. Okay. Anyways, what are we talking about today? Let's see. Let's talk about, uh, why do you think the church is in trouble? Let's just jump right in. Yeah. Um, the, the funny thing about the church being in trouble, I've had people ask me that, do you think the church is in trouble? And my answer is yes and no. Um, the church is not actually in trouble. It's always going to be around. And it won't just survive, but it'll thrive. It's been around for 2,000 years. It's outlasted governments. It's outlasted systems. It's outlasted all wars and revolutions. However, I do think that church as we know it is in trouble because around 85% and some, some stats say up to 90% of churches have either stopped growing or are actually declining, which is insane because we have more information and more resources at our fingertips than we've ever had in the history of the world. I want to dial it back a little. Why do you think the church as we know it is in trouble? Well, I was thinking about this and I've, I've listed about five, five reasons, five main reasons. I think the first is that far too many churches are catering to what I'm going to call the already convinced. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you to unpack that one. Yeah, well, like um, the, the church services, like the music, the programming, the internal language that we use that we're completely unaware of. So what was the time that you used church language? Uh, I remember one night I was preaching, and I got a little carried away, and I said from the stage, I'm so thankful that I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, that is a church statement. If you have a solid biblical background, you understand and appreciate and might even say amen to washed in the blood of the lamb. I mean, that's that's a great thing. However, if you're a non-churched person and somebody says something about being washed in the blood of the lamb, I'm turning to my friend and going, hey, if they, if they bring a lamb out, I'm, I just want to let you know I'm gone. Um, it, it's it's kind of like, let, we say what what we say and how we say it is so important. Let's say let's say this. Let's say that you get asked to go out to lunch with a group of people, and so you go with this group of people. You sit down, and they all speak Spanish, and you don't speak any Spanish, and so they only speak Spanish the whole time, and they 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 don't they don't even speak 
um, English to you. They speak Spanish to you. And you can get through the lunch. I mean, you, you know a few basic words, but you're just uncomfortable during that whole lunch. And then let's say the next day they come to you and they say, Logan, would you, would you love to go to lunch with us again? The answer is probably going to be no, because you didn't understand anything they said. And I've come to the conclusion that maybe it's not that people are rejecting the message of the gospel, but maybe they don't understand it. And, and being in that type of environment can, can lead to a super judgmental culture. And, and th- this is the thing I, I know about super judgmental people, because like, I've just seen it in working for church, in church world for nearly 30 years. The louder a person is, usually the, the more they have to hide. Um, and that's, that's, just, that's just true. And, and at the end of the day, I believe that people in this world do not doubt God's love because of a lack of evidence of the existence of God. I think people doubt God's love because of a lack of Christians being able to love one another. I couldn't agree with you more. So what's the second reason the church today is in trouble? Well, the church today, I think the second reason is that we will celebrate behavior modification over life transformation. What do you mean? So um, I was hanging out with a group of pastors a few years ago, and someone asked me if a gay person came to your church and they received Christ, would you baptize them? And I didn't even miss a beat. I said yes. And you would have thought I cussed the Virgin Mary at a Catholic convention. I mean, it, it got intense in the room and um, got a lot of pushback from it. And they said, well, well, they're gay. And I'm like, well, the Bible says that somebody's first step after meeting Christ is for them to get saved. And I said, so, and they're like, well, they got to repent of being gay. And I'm like, no, they got to accept Christ. And um, then it finally got to the point where I asked the I asked the pastor that asked me, I said, well, if a fat person came to your church, would you baptize them? And he said, it's different. I said, no, it's not different. It's a, it's a sin of the flesh. It's a sin of the flesh. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs, if you're given to gluttony, put a knife to your throat. That's, I mean, I mean, holy, holy cow. And so I'm just like, and so until they lose like 40 pounds uh, under your standards, you shouldn't be able to baptize them. And what's sad is, there's, there's a lot of Christians that would celebrate somebody um, who was gay and w- weren't gay anymore. They'll celebrate that, but they have a hard time celebrating that the person received Christ, but they still may identify themselves as gay. So, so we, we, we are into behavior modification rather than life transformation. Perry Noble, you're preaching right now. I I'm love a, it. I I'll love that story so that. much. <laughs> That's all right. We'll we'll take them. We'll take them. So, what about discipleship, though? Yeah. Well, I believe I just I believe discipleship is essential. I believe it's necessary. I believe we need it. But here's the deal: for three for the first three hundred years of the church, there was no Bible. There were there were no creeds. There were no classes. There were no seminars, and Christians absolutely dominated as far as fulfilling the great commission and it simply they were simply known by the way they loved one another and unfortunately what a lot of churches call discipleship is nothing more than control and manipulation 
And while that may have worked back in the day, people simply aren't putting up with it anymore. I remember when I came to Christ, um, someone was like, okay, now you're a Christian. Now th- th- these are the music groups you can't listen to. And, and, they, and they told me I couldn't listen to Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard. And I was like crushed. I was like, oh, my gosh. And they were like, no, they worship the devil. And I was like, I don't think they do. Um, and I couldn't go to radar movies. And I couldn't wear certain kinds of clothes. And, I mean, it was all these rules and regulations. And at the end of the day, we should absolutely want people to stop sinning. Yes, sin ultimately destroys. But telling people to stop without understanding their story is simply a lack of compassion, and it's actually rooted in pride. Okay, so reasons one and two, very strong. What is the third reason? I think the third reason the church is in trouble, honestly, is because we freaking cry too much. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Well, it just seems like every week I see some sort of article about, oh, Facebook's not being fair to Christians, or Disney is canceling Christian music night. Or GQ wrote a magazine article that was negative about the Bible. And, and I'm like, why, why should we cry about that? Because once again, I'll go back to the point. Christianity exploded for the first 300 years. No political affiliation, no social influence, just a group of people who've loved one another and they changed the world. You know, Logan, it's really strange that Christians say this world is not our home. And then we get upset when something proves that this world is not our home. That is so true, Perry. So true. But what's the solution here? Well, I'll give an example. Um, I saw a lot of activity about the GQ magazine article. I think it was um, they included the Bible in a list of like 20 books not to read. And they mm-hmm. said some negative stuff about the Bible. Now, our boy Matthew, I don't, I'm not sure how to say this guy's in that last name, Diablos, Diablos, D I. D-E-I-B-L-E-S. I am not hooked on Pahonics, so I don't know <laughs> how. To, and so I saw a lot of Christians like slamming this guy online. Like he's an idiot. He's the Antichrist. He's going to hell. And I'm like, okay, great, great job, guys. Here's somebody who I don't know if he's a Christian or not. have no idea. Never had a conversation with him. Um, Attacking him and what he said about the Bible. And I thought, man, if somebody really did have the approach that I think Jesus wanted us to have, why not reach out to him, take him to lunch, take him to dinner, and ask him questions about why he wrote that and what he believes. I think we get a lot further like that, but especially in the world of um, social media, it's it's just... Uh, so easy to launch verbal verbal bombs. And at the end of the day, the question is, have you spent time with the people that you criticize the most? Because compassion goes a lot further than condemnation. In Matthew chapter 9, and I think it's Luke chapter 5, same story, when Jesus walks up to Matthew, and Matthew is collecting taxes. Now, we don't even have a category of sinner in our culture for what this looked like 2,000 years ago, Jesus didn't tell Matthew to stop, stop. He didn't say, Matthew, stop collecting taxes. You're wrong. He just said, follow me. And then Jesus went to his house and they had a party. I mean, it's incredible. And ultimately, Matthew wound up following Jesus. And uh, history and tradition tells us he was killed in Ethiopia while spreading the gospel. So, I mean, it, that, that's, we just cry too much. 
Three down, two to go. What do you think the fourth reason is? I think the fourth reason, and this is this is big time, is the church is an incredibly unsafe environment for people to confess sin. And here's what I mean. Church is a very safe place if you used to struggle with sin. So if you used to have a porn addiction, but now that porn addiction has gone away, then you can come in and talk about how Jesus sets you free from a porn addiction. Or if you have an alcohol or drug if you had an alcohol or drug addiction, and then Jesus sets you free from it, then you can come in and, and give glory to God about how you used to live, but now you're, now you're better. Or if, you're, if you had a divorce in your past, you know, but then you, you kind of got those issues resolved and you've moved on, that's okay. But if you're going through a divorce, I mean, that's, you, you, you have a scarlet letter on you everywhere you go. Um, and so there are too many churches that we want, and listen, I've been in this environment too, where we want everybody's story to have a really nice bow on it. But if you're currently struggling with sin, in many church environments, you're not welcome. It's unsafe, and you can get kicked out. You can get kicked out. Perry, I'm not going to lie to you. That is probably one of the most true and raw things that has ever been said on this podcast. Because, I mean, if we're honest, everyone struggles with sin, Everybody. and that's the last place most people will feel safe to go to. And that's really important. You know, I didn't hear grow up hearing much about confession, so is that an important aspect of all of this? Yeah, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to one another— and pray for each other, you will be healed. And a lot of people have been forgiven, but they've never been healed because they've never gone through confession. And and here's the deal that, that we need to realize. When people confess sin, God is working in their lives because nobody's going to tell you something bad about themselves unless God is trying to work to get it out. And, and he's moving in their hearts so they can find freedom and healing, but we've got to create a safe place for that to happen. I've been reading about the church in Ephesus recently, and in Acts 19, there's an event that happens um, that's that's pretty intense, and because of this event that happens, the seven sons of Sceva, they try to do an exorcism, and it just kind of goes bad, and the Bible says that the demon jumped on them and they ran out of the house bleeding and naked. So I've been in a lot of fights, but I've never had the pants beat off of me. Um, and so when you get the pants beaten off of you, you officially lost that fight. But the Bible says in um, Acts 19, verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. So you had Christians coming and confessing what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery, okay, in the Old Testament, you'd get killed for that, um, brought their scrolls together and burned them pub publicly. So I wrote down uh, several weeks ago when I was reading this, confession did not lead to exclusion. And I think the church has to be a place. And once again, that we don't endorse sin, but it's a safe place for people to confess uh, and, and, and then figure out how to take a step forward. Okay, so we've covered a lot of really good ground so far. What do you think the fifth and final reason is? I, I say the best for last because I think the fifth and final reason the church is in trouble is we're fighting the wrong fight. I might need you to elaborate a little more well, on that I one. I mean, there's just too many fights going on over, like, the way people get baptized. Like, I have a belief on that, but I'm not going to fight you over it. 
um, a literal six-day creation. It, was it that or did it, I don't, I, you know, honestly, I don't care. I, I don't. I, I don't know how it happened. The Bible is not a science book. It's a history book. It doesn't answer how it happened. It just answers who did it. And that's what matters to me. I can, I can, I can raise my hands and worship in either scenario. If he did it in six days, wow. If he did it in six billion years, wow. It's still, but see, I don't care. I won't fight over that. Um, Calvinism. Oh dear God. I think, I think, Angry Calvinists are one of the worst things that's ever happened to Christianity, which angry Calvinists kind of goes hands in hand. But I th- people want to fight over over things like that. And I'm like, I, I don't think we're supposed to be fighting over that. Our fight should be to do, do whatever it takes to love one another. Jesus said this in John 17. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he prays for all Christians right here. He said that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So be in us, be one. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the world's going to believe that Jesus was sent because Christians can be unified. He, he said, verse 22, I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So God says, I want, I want them to be as close Jesus said, I want them to God to be as close as we are. He said, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. So Jesus right there went Drake and busted a rhyme. And then he said, then the world will know that you sent me. Why will the world know that Jesus sent us? Not because of our protest signs and not because of our stop it's and not because of our condemnation, because we are actually a group of people that love one another. So how do we resolve all of these things? Well, that's an awesome question. I believe, I believe once again, five points, so five things to resolve it. Number one, we got to learn, learn a new language. We literally need to learn how to speak what our culture is already speaking about. But won't some people push back on that and call it compromise? Yeah, you know what's crazy about that, Logan, is if I go, let's say I, I'm going to the deepest, darkest jungle of Africa, because that's where all missionaries go, Africa. Anytime somebody says they're going to be a missionary, automatically they're in Africa, and they need missionaries all over the place. Anyway, so so let's say I'm going to Africa, and I go into, okay, I'm a six-foot-six white guy. There is no, I am, I am so white, I am double white. I've got the whitest legs on the planet. So I'm obviously going to stand out in this culture. Now, should my first step as a missionary be to step into that culture and start criticizing them worshiping false gods or criticizing them doing it wrong or telling them how ungodly they are. No, I make friends and I understand their culture and I leverage the culture to reach the people. Now, if we do it in a foreign country, we call it mission work. But for some reason in America, if we do it, we call it compromise. And I think that's a bit hypocritical. I think we should learn to speak the language of the people that we're reaching and then reach them on that level with the gospel. Because at the end of the day, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't stand in heaven and lecture us and say, stop it. He came down. He spoke our language. And through that, he changed the world. 
That was real good, Perry. Me and our sound guy here, Ed, who's doing it. We're over here like, preach, Perry. Well, I went off script a little bit right there, but I was kind of excited about that it. That was so. good. Okay, okay. So what's the second resolution? Um, I think it's value people meeting Jesus over behavior modification. But aren't there things that people need to do when they become a follower? Or aren't there things that people need to stop doing when they become a follower of Christ? I mean, yeah, but that happens one step at a time. For example, let's say you meet Christ. Um, and as soon as you meet Christ, you get a list of things you have to stop doing and things you need to start doing. Um, people aren't going to think this is abundant life. They're going to think, oh, dear God, I just stepped into spiritual prison. Um, and telling people all these things you have to start doing and stop doing is basically like the Pharisees. Now, in Jewish tradition, there was the written law, which was the Torah, which was 613 commandments. And there was the oral law, which is the Mishnah, which when they finally wrote it down, I think in um, 300 B.C., maybe three or 400 B.C., it was um, over 2,000 commandments. So when somebody converted to become a Pharisee, automatically there's like 20, a list of 2,600 things right off the bat that you have to start doing or stop doing. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, I think it's verse 15, you Pharisees will travel the world to win a convert. And then when you, when you win them, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. And I'm like, oh, dear God. God, that was strong. But he's saying it's it's not about behavior modification. It's about following Jesus one step at a time. I'll go back to Matthew for a minute. We don't know when Matthew stopped collecting taxes. A lot of people go, Matthew stopped collecting taxes as soon as Jesus called him. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he left everything. The Bible doesn't say he left it for good. The Bible says we don't know when Matthew stopped collecting taxes. We do know when he started following Jesus. And eventually, over time, he walked away from something, not because Jesus told him to stop, but Jesus told him to start following him. And what about the third resolution? The third resolution is we've got to stop crying about how unfair we are being treated by the world, um, especially when Christians in other part of the world are being martyred. So shut up about Facebook not being fair to Christians when there are literally Christians being killed all over the voice. We are all over the world. We've been given a voice and we should use it to proclaim, not complain. Um, it's really difficult to have a positive impact on a group of people we're always positioning ourselves against. Proclaim and not complain. I like it. Bam. Love it actually. What is number four, Perry? Number four is and this one's huge. We got to make the church a safe place to confess sin. And then instead of a lecture, show love. This doesn't mean we give people permission to sin, but we don't kick people out because they had the courage to confess. I mean, just the other day, I received a telephone call from a friend, um, and this friend is a part of the church I'm currently planting, and they informed me of a pretty serious situation in their life and they already knew it was wrong they already knew they shouldn't have done it and I wasn't like you were wrong you shouldn't have done it my question to this person was okay it's happened what do you think you need to do next and here's what was amazing Logan God had already spoken to this person and told them what they needed to do next if I had gone off on them 
I maybe push them out of church. But if you just ask the question, most of the time, especially if they're walking with Jesus, and if they're not walking with Jesus, you can kind of guide them in that direction. And finally, the fifth step. The fifth is instead of focusing on our disagreements, let's focus on what we agree about and then work from there. I mean, our culture is so binary, and we position ourselves to where if you hold the opposite view, you are either stupid or sinful or both. Um, Recently, in what I've gone through, I've discovered there's some really great godly people who don't believe the way I do, and instead of taking shots at them, I should at least be willing to have a conversation, not to convert them, but to learn from them. You know, Logan, one of the things... um, Years ago, there was a controversy. I don't even know if you'll remember this, but Rob Bell. Do you know who Rob Bell is? I do. Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And in the book, Rob said that he did not agree that there is a hell. And um, a lot of people, it was real popular to go off on Rob Bell during that time period. And so people were asking me about it. And I said, well, I'm not going to weigh in on my opinion because, number one, I haven't read the book. And number two, um, I haven't talked to Rob. And so until I do those two things. And so I read the book. I was on a flight from the East Coast to the West Coast. And um, I, I got the worst seat on the plane, so I'm trapped. And so I literally read a book about how there was no hell while I was in hell. Um, but I, I read the whole book. And then Rob and I at the time had a mutual friend. And by the way, back up, four years or five years before Rob had released that book, um, I'd had the opportunity to, to go and see the church he used to pastor and actually spend the weekend at his house. He was like, no, you're staying at my house. Well, like one of the most hospitable guys I've ever met. And so, um, so through a mutual friend, um, I got in touch with Rob. Rob called me. I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? He was changing one of his children's diaper. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Rob Bell's changing a diaper. And I said, Rob, I said, I got some questions for you about your book. And I said, listen, I don't want to fight. I'm not calling to fight. I just have some questions. And we talked for about an hour and I asked him um, some questions. I got my answers and I've, I've never told anybody the extent of the conversation because it was just something that I wanted to know. Eventually I did write about it on my website, but I wrote about it. Um, and I said something then that I'll say today. I love Rob Bell. I love him. And everybody goes, well, you know, I don't agree with everything they say. I don't agree with everything I say. I mean, I look back at some of the stuff I said, you know, five years ago. I'm like, that guy was an idiot. But um, recently I I read one of his books, um, What We Talk About When We Talk About God. Unbelievable book. Love it. And some people go, Rob Bell's a heretic. Well, how do you know you're not a heretic? At the end of the day, um, I'm not severing a friendship with somebody because they don't believe something that I believe. At the end of the day, I think maturity is being able to sit down with somebody that doesn't see the world as you see it and have fellowship with them. And when people want to push back, I would simply say, read the Bible. I heard Andy Stanley say this years ago, and it stuck with me. Jesus loved people that were nothing like him. And people that were nothing like him loved him. And so we know that we're becoming like Christ when more people who are nothing like us actually love us.
Oh, I need a cup of tea after all this. We we covered a lot of ground today. Anything else before we sign off, well, P? One, one more thing. This has to be intentional because churches, our tendency is to drift inward rather than focus outward. And so, you know, just work, take these steps, work through one a week and just ask yourself in a staff meeting, hey, how are we doing in this area? And how do we need to improve? Um, once again, at the Growth Company, if we can help you in any way, I want my church to grow.com is our website. And that's it. Um, until next week, when we talk about something way less controversial, women holding leadership positions in the church. It should be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. We hope you had a blast spending time with us. For more thoughts on leadership, visit Perry's blog at perrynoble.com.